0: Thank you, Shane, next worship team. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to worship with you this morning. Uh, we will be in Revelation 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, if you join us online. Glad to have you connecting this way, but just know we, we miss you and we'd love to see you in person. Um, glad we can connect through the internet, but it's not the same when we can't look each other face to face and hug each other's neck. So if you know of anybody who's at home today, they're sick or just for other reasons, be sure to reach out to them this week. Let them know you missed being with them. Um, we are uh, continuing in a series. Let me just give you the overview of where we're going and uh, where we're going to be today. And then we'll get into Revelation 4. So we're in a series titled The Greatest Commandments. This comes from um, an, e- an answer that Jesus gave to a scribe who asked him, Hey, what are the greatest commandments? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He so said the second one's like it, um, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so out of that, we're going to spend um, the next probably a couple months kind of walking through what does it mean to love God, what does it mean to love myself, and then out of that, how then can I love my neighbor better? Um, but what we've kind of started with is this idea of really, I can't love God until I know God. Like, I can't actually love God unless I know who God is. In the same way, um, I I need to know who I am and I need to know who my neighbor is. And so we're three weeks in now um, to seven weeks um, on this idea of who is God. And we're really kind of taking a journey into the identity of God. We started with the big question, who is God? And as we go along today, we're going to kind of transition to now that we've begun to establish who God is, we're going to start talking about what he's like. And then our hope is that by week seven, we've really established what it's like to be with God. So think about how you get to know, you know, people, right? So like you may be here today and it's the first time you and I've met. So maybe you know my name or maybe you don't know my name yet. My name's Jason. Nice to meet you. And so you know that about me. You know, you begin to know who I am. Uh, but then over time, if you continue to come back or we spend time together, you're going to begin to know what I'm like. And if we really start spending time together, like outside of these four walls, you'll begin to know what it's like to be with me, right? So that's the journey we're taking uh, as we get to know who God is. We're moving from who God is um, ultimately to what is it like to be with God. And today we're going to start looking at his attributes and what he is like. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Um, The backdrop here is that um, John, who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote some letters uh, in your New Testament, he has now been, um, towards the end of the first century, he has um, been um, exiled to this little Greek island, in the Aegean Sea, called Patmos. And here is where God comes to him and brings him this revelation. That's so important. We understand that John did not go on a spiritual retreat to the island of Patmos to find God. He's just simply being exiled, but there God comes to him and says, hey, John, I want you to see these things. And not only is, is John seeing things, what God is showing him is not just what is to come, but what has been and what is and what is to come. Because when we think about the book of Revelation, we typically think about only what is to come. Like, we want to read it, we want to understand it, so we'll know what is coming. But in the book of Revelation, we really have um, a description of of really all three of those things. Not not only what was, but now what is, and then what is to come. And so today, we're really going to be beholding something that is already, like right now. It's not just something that we hope will come one day, it's something um, that is actually taking place today. Like right now, as we sit here, what we're going to be looking at is happening somewhere. And so we're going to start in verse 1 with these things in mind. John says this, after this, so he just finished writing letters to churches. And so after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And if your English translation has an exclamation point, that's a big deal. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So the voice is inviting John to to come near. And it's not just any voice. It's a specific voice. And so to get our minds kind of wrapped around what's happening here, we start with the idea that there's a door open to heaven. So we already have some kind of clue whose voice this is. And and from whatever's behind the door comes a voice to John that sounds like a trumpet. Okay, so if we're trying to kind of hear in our heads what this sounds like, nobody's mumbling, nobody's whispering. It's the idea of like, John, come up here. And there's an announcement being made as this voice goes out to John, inviting him to draw near this is really important I don't know what God's voice sounds like to you I don't know what God's willingness to be with you looks like but here we're getting a description of a God who invites us to come near like he's come to John and given him this revelation and in the revelation he's showing him a door that's open and from behind that door God is announcing like a a trumpet this invitation to come near and to see who God is, and to see what God is like, that we might know what it's like to be with God. And so this is the opening of this chapter in this scene. Verse 2 says, At once I was in the Spirit. This is the idea of being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Uh, Jesus was actually led by the Spirit in the Gospels um, out into the wilderness, To pray where he was tempted, that was the Spirit led Jesus there. That same Holy Spirit we talked about last week, part of the Godhead, now here is filling John and leading John. He was in the Spirit. And behold, so he wants you to see something. What does he want you to see? He says, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, the word throne is going to appear like 14 times in 11 verses. It is the central theme of this chapter in Revelation. We are going to now begin to to read some descriptions of this throne room, but it's so important that we don't lose sight of the main thing John is seeing. Okay, so the imagery is going to be vivid. The imagery is probably going to be hard for us to fully imagine, But at the center of it all, there is a throne, and John wants you to see the throne, and more specifically, he wants you to see he who is seated on the throne. Like, that's the main thing happening here. As he says, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So now as we move through these next verses, and and your mind begins to try to imagine what John was seeing, Let us not lose sight of this throne and he who is seated on it. Verse 3, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 Elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, are you trying to imagine this scene? So what's beautiful about what's being described here is, um, this isn't the only place in the Bible that this scene shows up. You get descriptions of this imagery from, Old Testament books like Daniel and Ezekiel, but really clearly in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has an experience like John and describes what he sees, and it's very similar, very similar experience. So what we're going to talk about is how this is not just a, a scene of what is to come, but it is a scene of something that has always been, and it is, and it is to come. So John's not just seeing a, a future moment in time going, hey, one day God's going to be seated on a throne that's going to look like this. What John is being invited to see is what is, what has always been, and what is to come. Now, we could, if we were in a sermon series on the book of Revelation, we would really slow down and, and unpack this imagery and the symbols behind it. We did this uh, several years ago. We went through the whole book of Revelation, took a better part of a year. You can still go back on our website and go to that series, and you can really dig into this imagery, but today, that's not what we're doing. Really, what I want us to see more clearly than anything is this repeated theme of a throne, and he who is seated on it. When we think about who God is, as we take this journey to answer that question, what is he like? and hopefully, maybe even what is he like to be, to be with. It's so important. I want you to hear this. God has already revealed enough to us as humans that you and I could spend every moment of every day for the rest of your lives seeking to understand who he is and never get to the end of him. Like just what he's revealed through the Scriptures, is more than you or I in a lifetime could comprehend or understand about who God is. And at the same time, God is inviting us to get to know Him, inviting us to seek after Him, inviting us to ask, God, what are you like? So I want you to think about that. I like the way the Apostle Paul talks about how he understands and sees God in first Corinthians chapter 13 uh, he describes seeing God this way he said for we know in part he's talking about knowledge of God we as Christians we only know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. Okay, so whatever your image of God is right now, whatever your understanding is of who he is, what Paul is saying is it's a partial knowledge of God. It's not complete. Which means then, you and I walked into this room today with a partial knowledge of God. And and there's room for you and I to leave this place with a deeper understanding of God. And guess what? Come back next week with your new partial image of God and we'll do it again. You, you with me? And so what Paul is saying here is like, hey, I'm saying like right now, whatever I, whoever I think God is, it's not complete. It's just partial. And then he uses a description in verse 12. He says, for now, right now in this life, we see in a mirror dimly. So uh, try to imagine this, walking into your bathroom, and it's still you know, dark in the house, and you don't turn on a light, but there's enough light refracting off the walls that when you stand in front of the mirror, you can go, I, I, that's, I think that's me. Like that looks like my height, that's my silhouette, and yeah, that's me, okay? But then somebody walks into the room and flips the light on, you're like, whoa, that is me. I need to fix my hair, and like, I can see myself now. Paul is saying, hey, right now in this life, that's how you see God, like as in a mirror dimly. So your knowledge of God is is helpful. It's helping you get to know who he is. But there's coming a day when somebody will flip on the lights and you can see him more clearly. He says specifically, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Right now, I know in part, but then... I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So God knows you fully right now. He doesn't just know you in part. He knows you fully, but you only know him back in part. There is coming a day where you will stand face to face with God. This is what John's doing. And at that moment, you will then know him fully, the same way he has already known you fully. One of the ways we know who God is, we've talked about this last week, is Jesus said, hey, you want to know what the Father's like? Spend time with me. Because if you know the Son, you know the Father. And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John writes these words. He says in verse 14 that the Word being Jesus, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. So think about that. Whatever bodily form, whatever Jesus looked like, Try to imagine. Whatever he looked like, Middle Eastern, first century kind of dude, probably didn't look like the the Jesus in your, you know, kids' Bibles with the flowing hair and the purple sash. But whatever he looked like, understand before that, right, he was at the right hand of God, and he came to earth, and he put on flesh and dwelt among us. And John goes on to say, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses later in verse 18, he says this, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he, being Jesus, has made him known. So we know who God is, and we know what God is like by looking at Jesus. But the fullness of God has not yet been revealed. Right now, whatever your image of God is, it's like walking into a dark bathroom and just kind of looking in the mirror at yourself. It's like looking in a mirror dimly. Now, What we're going to do next is we're going to kind of settle in uh, in verse 8. Before we do, we're going to look at um, what these creatures are saying about he who is sitting on the throne. But before we do that, what I want us to realize is that every, every object and especially every character and creature in this imagery is only here to point your attention to he who sits on the throne. Like, even the 24 little thrones and the 24 elders, like, we won't read that far into the chapter, but if you get there, even those 24 elders exist uh, in, this, in this moment to show you who God is. Like, they end up bowing down and taking these golden crowns off and laying them down before he, he who is seated on the throne. And you've got these four creatures, right? One's got a face like a lion and one like an ox, and one's flying, has a face like an eagle, and the other one like the face of man. So we won't unpack all this, but what I want you to think about, this is representative of all of creation. Whatever these creatures are doing and saying, it is representative of all of creation. And so now we'll we'll settle in in verse 8 and read these words. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say. Now, just real quick, little grammatical question here. The word cease, what tense is that in? Present. Think about that. What does that mean then? If what John is seeing is these beings saying something, he's not saying, and they never ceased to say it. He's saying, in the present tense, they never quit saying these words. Here's what that means. They're still saying it right now. Like if you go back to Isaiah 6, centuries before this was ever written down, the the imagery of the seraphim in the throne room of God, they're saying the same thing. Right, so this is what was and what is right now in this moment and it is to come. And so right now, on in this moment while you're seated in a chair in this building on this spot on the earth in the universe what we're hearing is happening they're still saying it and what are they saying they never cease to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come you know what that means 15 minutes or so ago when we were singing that lyric in this room did you know you were joining with angelic beings in heaven they were already singing it when you were still asleep this morning in that moment when your alarm clock went off and you're like, should I get up, should I not? The angelic beings were singing on your drive here. You didn't even know songs we were going to be singing. The angelic beings were singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now we're going to slow down a little bit more even and start thinking about what is this declaration and what does it mean? So of all the characteristics of God and what he's like, only one of his qualities gets repeated like this three times in a row. Now you might argue that his eternal nature gets repeated in the phrase, who was and is and is to come. But the idea of saying that, you know, God is kind, like you're never going to find God is kind, kind, kind. So this description of who God is and what he's like is really kind of set apart from any other description of what God is like. So to get there, let's think about what does this word holy mean? So the word has a ton of meaning in it. Um, it means uh, awe or awe-inspiring. If something is holy, it inspires awe, reverence. Um, it means morally pure, It means separate or set apart. Now, if you try to take one of those words and plug it in right here, it kind of loses a little bit. Like, God is morally pure, morally pure, morally pure. That's true, but what's being expressed here is bigger than that. God is separate. God is separate. God is separate. But all that this word holy means is being packed into this expression and repeated three times. And here's how I want you to understand that. From this perspective, it means this. Whatever God is, he absolutely always is. So like, you know, any given moment, you might walk into my house and pull one of my kids aside and be like, hey, what kind of mood is your dad in? And they may go, well, dad's happy. Okay, but what they don't mean is that dad is always happy. He's not absolutely happy. He just happens to be happy right now. Come back in a few minutes and he won't be happy. But if they said, dad is happy, 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 what they would mean is that's part of his character and his nature and he's always that. So whatever this means about God, what these angelic creature beings are saying is God is always this. He is always holy, holy, holy. Some ways that you could maybe render this out in English into phrases would be something like this. God is uniquely and always perfect. Another way you could maybe render this expression would be God is supremely and exclusively God. God is in his own category. God is sacred, pure, set apart, worthy of all, and there is none like him. And that's what we mean. We look at other times in the scripture where we see this response to who God is. Uh, One of those would be in, comes to mind, is the book of uh, Exodus, uh, chapter 15. Uh, what has just happened is that um, God has delivered the um, Israelite nation out of slavery and through the plagues and so now they are following the presence of God through the wilderness and they've made it to this big body of water and we now know is the Red Sea and it kind of felt like a stop sign or a dead end they're like oh my gosh what are we going to do like if we, we can't swim across this thing we don't have any boats they turn around here comes Pharaoh's army we are desperate we need God to show up he led us here and and then God parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. They just So that's what they just experienced. The water comes crashing in on, on the army of Pharaoh. And here is what, how they respond to this. Verse 11 of Exodus 15. <laughs> Who is like you? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic, uh, in in holiness, awesome, in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? You almost kind of hear them asking, have you ever seen anything like this? Now, that was a big moment in the nation of Israel. But I think about another moment that was more intimate between one Israelite lady and her God. If you know the story about Samuel's birth, uh, his mom Hannah was um, unable to get pregnant, and so she begged the Lord, God, please let me get pregnant. Very personal, intimate prayer. And so the Lord blesses her and answers the prayer, and she's able to con- conceive and give birth to Samuel. What's interesting is now after this moment, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, look at Hannah's response to God's goodness to her. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Like that's her response. There's there's no one like you, God. No one like you. Like I thought you were good, but now I'm like, man, now you are good. I thought I knew who you were, but now I see there's no one like you think about that as we ask the question what is God like our first answer is there is no one like him there's no one like him in a few weeks we'll begin to talk about being created in his image and we'll talk about how we are like him in a way but when you think about a God who is holy 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 there is none like him No pastor, no elder, no priest, no spiritual leader, no missionary, no whatever spiritual hero you have in your mind. There are none like him. Even the angels aren't like him. Even the angels are like supporting cast characters. And as we look at them and go, what in the world, an ox? They're like, hey, don't look at us. Look at him. There is none like him. As we think about What then is the appropriate response to the holiness of God? We'll look at a couple examples together. Um, The first example comes from Luke 4. Um, This is a situation where Jesus is teaching. I'll just read a few verses to you. Um, But ultimately what you're going to see here is there's a demon-possessed man, and the demons are going to speak through this man's voice. Listen to this story. And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. He's kind of doing this right here in front of a crowd of people. And they were astonished at his teaching. And that's different from what we're doing right here. But, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ha! what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us that's the response of the demon to being in the presence of jesus and look at where he ends i know who you are you are the holy one of god that's the response of demons to the holiness of god awe and fear then we'll fast forward to a scene from the Gospel of John chapter 6 where there's this huge massive following happening in Jesus' ministry. And so he stops and he says some really hard things and almost all of them leave and go home. They're like, whoa. And they, they, they bail. So Jesus turns to the 12 and is like, you guys want to head home too? Are you about to abandon me? And here's the, here's the words, verse 67 of John 6. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the response of the disciples to encountering the holiness of God in Jesus was what? Where else would we go? Not that we don't have options, but now that we've seen your holiness, now that we know who you are, to whom would we dare go to that would compare with you? The Bible describes Um, a future time where all the nations will be gathered. We were singing about that from every tribe, every tongue will be gathered in the presence of God. And if we keep reading in Revelation into chapter five and then all the way to seven, you're gonna see this unfold as God gathers the nations uh, into his presence. And it sounds like the rushing of like many roaring waters coming together. So Niagara Falls times like whatever, a thousand of all the nations gathering into the presence of God. Psalm 86, verse 8 and 10, we could have gone to a ton of places to see this, describes how the nations respond to the holiness of God. Verse 8, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. You heard the Bible verse that says that every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's the scene here. O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So when the nations encounter the holiness of God, they will bow and they will worship and they will glorify his name and they will declare you alone are God. Let's think for a minute then about us. What does that mean for us here today? As the church, we are God's people. In Psalm chapter 99, verses 1 through 5, describes how we, as his people, respond to his holiness. Verse 1 says this, The Lord reigns he's seated on a throne he reigns let the people tremble he sits enthroned upon the cherubim these angelic beings let the earth quake the psalmist is describing the same thing that john is seeing and that isaiah saw he is enthroned upon the cherubim let the earth quake The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. So here's the appropriate response. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt, here it is, exalt the Lord our God worship at his footstool why holy is he so when we encounter the holiness of God we have two responses the first response is going to take us back to verse one the first thing is to draw near the demons don't want to have anything to do with the holiness of God they want to move away even some of the crowd that was following Jesus they did what they turned back and moved away but Jesus asks the question, yeah, but what do you want to do? Do you want to move away? Do you want to go back home? And Peter's response is like, no way. Where would we go? To whom would we go? You think about Hebrews chapter 4 describes the throne room in this way. With this invitation, let us approach the throne room of grace with, somebody say it, confidence. Confidence. Let us approach the throne room of grace, right? Not with fear and trembling and timidity and like hesitation, but like, no, we come barging in. Do you remember where this chapter begins? A door open in heaven, and a voice behind the door saying, "What, John, get in here, John, come come closer." And so, our first response as God's people is to do what? To draw near. And our second response is this, to declare together that there is none like him, for he is holy, holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Now, as we take this journey together, we're gonna, again, we're gonna be able to see this this God who is majestic, he is set apart, he can't be fully comprehended. And yet he is a God who draws near to us and wants to be known intimately. And he wants you to not just know what he's like or what he looks like, but he wants you to know what he's like to be with. That's the journey we're on here. This same God who is other than, there's no one like him, is the same God who draws near to you like even right now. Like that invitation is open to you right now. Get in here. Get up, come closer. You're not gonna fully comprehend me, but I want you to see me. I want you to know what I'm like. And so I wanna just land here today and, and move into some time of reflection what does this mean then for us what is this how do we apply this to our lives right what is the application for me what do i what needs to be different about me now that i've heard these words right as i walk out today what what could be different so we'll start here what does the imagery of the open door in heaven and the invitation to come up here what does that tell you about what god is like how is that maybe different from the god that you believed in when you walked into here maybe you walked in a day thinking god wants to have nothing to do with you that he's just eternally ticked He's just eternally disappointed in you, and you've already blown it. How is that different? What is God like that he would say to you, hey, come closer? The second question is this. How can you cultivate a deeper sense of awe and reverence for God's holiness in your own life? Towards the back half of this series, we're going to talk about how to cultivate an intimate relationship with God. But let's think about this. How could you now begin to cultivate a deeper understanding of God's holiness in your life? What would that look like? Think about this next question. I don't know if you've had this experience, but this happens for a lot of Christians, that when you worship whether you're like in a room like this or you're in your car or you're alone and singing in the shower but while you're worshiping parts of your story come up like it happened for me while we were singing is he worthy today so what are some of the things that God has done for you that come up or come to mind while you worship or affect the way you worship any anybody shed a tear in worship today Okay, where's that coming from? What has God done that's coming up for you as you worship him? And then lastly, this next question is, how should this imagery of Revelation 4 impact the way we worship God as a church today? So I'll I'll tell you right now, we're not going to put a throne on the stage. And we're not going to, you know, create four little winged puppets that float around. We're not going to create a moat or a glass, you know, this body of water down. Like, no, but how could it and how should it impact the way we worship God together? I'll give you some examples. If at any point you're worshiping here at Solid Rock and the holiness of God overwhelms you and you want to bow on your knees, green light. Going to bring out the snakes next. Hey, like that's, that's going to happen one day. Might as well do it in here. If you at any point are worshiping here and your heart wells up and you just start belting out the lyrics to a song we're singing at the top of your lungs off key, go for it. Yeah. Logan's got you. He's got, he'll turn the volume up. We'll drown you out. Go for it. If any point you're in worship and your heart welds up and begins to come out of your face in the form of tears and your throat gets tight and you can't say a word and you just stand there and weep, go for it. If you need to sit down, if you just want to stand in awe, go for it this is the God we're not just singing about, but this is the God we're singing to. So I want you to think about how this imagery of Revelation 4 could impact the way you worship God and the way we worship God as a church. So I want to end here and spend some time praying for you, give you some some things to think about. Um, If you uh, would like somebody to pray with you today, um, our prayer partners will be at the front, and they came here today looking for somebody, looking for them. So if you've never heard that, that means they're here for you, and they would love nothing more than just to pray over anything going on in your heart and mind right now. Um, if you're here today and you're like, wait a second, um, I don't know that God that you were just talking about. Like, I don't think I've ever, like, spent any time with that God. I want you to know today could be the first step in that relationship, to take that step of faith to move towards him. And if you want somebody to talk with you about that or pray with you, please come grab a prayer partner, grab one of our pastors, grab one of our elders. Say, hey, I want to get to know that God. Will you, will you help me get to know that God? You, you may be here today and you just realize that you've been a Christian for a long time, but your view of God is just too small. Maybe you had a big view of God at once, but it's kind of drifted. Or maybe you're like, whoa, that's not the... God, I learned about it at VBS, okay, hey, it's fine. But maybe for you then, what your response would be was to come before God and go, hey, God, I'm gonna let go of that false image of who you are, help me embrace this, this image of who you actually are. And so that may be where you are today. If you wanna stand and sing, you can do that. If you wanna stay seated, like I said, all those are pr- appropriate responses to the God who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and and Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how sweet it is just to say those words out loud together as your people. To know that as we sing these words, as we say these words, we're just really just doing reps for what we'll be doing for all eternity. God, right now you are seated on your throne. Right now you are being worshiped by angelic beings. God I pray as a church that we could we could join in in that anthem that we could do impart today what we will do fully for all eternity. Father, if there's somebody here today that does not know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, invite them to come close, Holy Spirit, would you do more than just fill the the, the the box we're in, but would you fill up our hearts right now? Truly, Holy Spirit, would you inhabit our praise? Would you stir our affections? We pray that, God, you truly would be glorified and lifted up in this place now as we stand to sing. In Jesus' name, amen.